Hello and welcome back to the Yeshua Judaism series of podcasts. I'm recording from a different location. The acoustics are therefore different. So if I sound different, that's one reason why. It's not quite as acoustically uh, pleasant and conducive to recording as my other location, but we'll see how it goes. So within this discussion of the Yeshua Judaism series, I'm going to talk about something that I have repeatedly mentioned or hinted at within other discussions, and that is the subject of oral Torah. What is oral Torah? Well, oral Torah I will be defining in detail within this series of discussion, and frankly, this is going to be um, probably the longest series of, as far as a particular topic that you will be able to find with on or within, excuse me, the Yeshua Judaism series, because it's likely going to go perhaps 10 parts. I don't really know, of course. I won't know until I'm completed, but I suspect it may be a 10-part series. But it's very important. It's very, very important. Oral Torah. I'm going to prove that it is both legitimate and necessary. Now, if you're a Christian and you're listening to this, don't jump to conclusions. First of all, Christians terribly are terribly misinformed regarding the regular Torah and even more so regarding oral Torah. They do not know what it is. And that's one of the things I will uh, illuminate and expand upon within this discussion. They basically condemn something without even knowing what it is. That's what Christianity does. That's what most Christians do with regards to both the Torah itself, just the basic Torah, but also and more so with the oral Torah. All right, so the first couple of parts are likely, they're going to be more of an introduction to introduce you to the topic, to give sort of background as to why this is an important topic, etc., so within this discussion, as I said, I will prove, yes, prove, that oral Torah is a legitimate and necessary concept for proper interpretation of Scripture. In short, I propose to prove the oral Torah concept, now notice this, concept, to be absolutely sound and in fact necessary for a correct understanding of the Bible, including the New Testament. In fact, without an understanding of oral Torah, it is literally impossible to fully grasp the intent within the New Testament writings. Let me say that again. Without an understanding of oral Torah, it is impossible to fully grasp the intent within the New Testament writings. Furthermore, Misinterpretation of the New Testament is an absolute certainty if you don't know oral Torah. I mean, that's just a fact. If you do not understand oral Torah, a, have a basic grasp of oral Torah, you, will, you are guaranteed, you are absolutely guaranteed to misinterpret the New Testament. Of course, your pastors and preachers and leaders within Christianity will never tell you that, one reason is they're ignorant of oral Torah, and it will expose their glaring ignorance of the topic and of the subject. 
Now, please take note of the fact that my primary focus within these discussions, and do not forget this, I, I, I caution you, please remember this. My primary focus is upon the general concept of Oral Torah. Specific teachings found within Oral Torah are not the subject of this discussion. All right? Let me clarify that again. What I'm going to be discussing within this series is the proof that the concept, the concept of Oral Torah which I'll go ahead and jump ahead and tell you, oral Torah simply means verbal teachings. That's all it means. Verbal teachings. If you, have, if you go to church on Sunday morning, your preacher's up there preaching. What is he doing? He's presenting verbal teachings. Guess what? You could call that, in fact, it is technically oral Torah. So what I'm going to show here, what I'm going to prove here, without a doubt, and, and I'm telling you what, people can say what they want. Nobody can, can basically say this is wrong. I'm going to prove that the concept, the practice of using oral Torah or verbal teachings is legitimate and is necessary. You probably already have a hint and a clue now as to what I'm going to focus upon. Since every preacher does it every Sunday morning, since everyone does it at Bible studies, every Christian Bible study, they have verbal teachings. They share opinions, which is their own, view, own type of commentary. It is impossible to have any religion at all without the presence of oral Torah, or verbal teachings. So I basically uh, jumped ahead, and I, that's kind of, I should have given a spoiler alert. I basically just kind of emphasized what I'm going to focus upon and how I'm going to show that oral Torah is necessary and legitimate, and by the way, always and commonly practiced even within Christianity. Even though Christianity says that oral Torah is not a, is bogus, you can't make, they basically say the Torah itself is abolished, but they say oral Torah is horrible, it's rabbinic garbage, it's this, it's that, it's traditions of man. All oral Torah is, is verbal teachings. So what they're doing is they're focusing on the the origins of a set of verbal teachings, but the concept of verbal teachings and oral Torah, they cannot deny is legitimate. No Christian out there can with a straight face and without being a bold-faced liar, there is not a single Christian out there, definitely not a single preacher or pastor or church leader out there, there's not a single one who can deny that verbal teachings are necessary and legitimate in transferring a faith. It's, they do it all the time. Okay? So I'm focusing on the concept. But within the discussion of the concept, I'm going to get into a deeper understanding of the Torah focus. The, the, when I say Torah, in this case, I'm referring to the Tanakh 
the, the five books of Moses. I'll define Torah within this, but I'm referring to the Hebraic concept of Torah and the Hebraic, <coughs> excuse me, the Hebraic concept of oral Torah. I'm going to focus upon that to the extent of defining it and clarifying it to people, primarily Christians, who are completely unaware of what it means and who jump to ridiculous condemning conclusions regarding its definition. It must also be understood that the material presented herein is from my own personal perspective and should not be assumed to represent what many within Akiva Judaism, that is Rabbinic Judaism, perceive as Oral Torah. They often define Oral Torah primarily as the more legalistic and pedantic aspects of Torah, pedantic meaning overly scrupulous, persnickety aspect of Torah. That is, they focus upon generally the halakha, the legal aspects, and rabbinic decrees, which I'll define herein, sometimes called durabanans, sometimes called takanot. And I'll define all this within this series of discussions. That's what they focus upon generally. Talmudic, legalistic stuff, which is not part of the actual Torah, all right? They represent laws, that is, the Rabbanans and Takanot represent laws enacted by the rabbis, basically rabbinic dictates, all right, which are not actually part of what originated with Moses on Mount Sinai. Many rabbis ridiculously believe and teach that even rabbinic dictates decreed by those rabbis, even the rabbinic decrees themselves, they teach within Judaism, within Akiva Judaism, it is taught those originated from Moses. But I categorically reject that idea and feel such a teaching is simply one of many ways used by the rabbis in which they attempt to solidify their tyrannical grip on power. Therefore, do not, I repeat, do not equate this discussion to the entirety of what the legalistic elements of Akiva Judaism may define as oral Torah. When I say oral Torah, I am, that is, when I say that oral Torah is legitimate and necessary, I am not referring to the rabbinic dictates, okay? And I will expand upon that within the discussion. So it's very important you understand what I was just saying. In short, what I'm saying is, I'm discussing the concept of oral Torah. I am not discussing specific aspects necessarily of oral Torah. However, I will be getting into some of those later. When I say oral, when I, that I will prove oral Torah is legitimate and necessary, I am not saying, I do not intend to imply that I'm going to prove that rabbinic teachings are legitimate and necessary. That is not what I'm proving. In fact, quite the opposite. Oral Torah means verbal teachings. Rabbinic Judaism or Akiva Judaism has a mountain of rabbinic dictates. Just, if I was to go through, I have the Talmud, I have the Shokun Aruch, I have many of Judaism's uh, fundamental foundational uh, books in which can be found their pedantic, their legalistic rabbinic dictates, you would be shocked if you're a Christian to know just how bad it is. 
the Shabbat, the Sabbath itself, there's books written on the laws of how to honor the Sabbath. When all the Bible says is rest, don't work. Okay, I won't go down that rabbit trail. It's just ridiculous. My point here is I am not I am not saying, and I do not intend to imply that I'm going to prove the oral Torah of rabbinic Judaism to be legitimate and necessary. That is not what you're going to hear in this discussion. But what I am going to discuss is how the concept of oral Torah, a proper oral Torah, is legitimate and necessary for a proper understanding of the Bible. That's what I intend to show. That's what I intend to prove. So do not go off half-cocked thinking that I'm trying to push Akiva Judaism or a rabbinic Judaism. I, I am not doing that. I am not, I will not defend, I do not defend many of the ridiculous, tyrannical, authoritarian dictates imposed by rabbis. Matter of fact, just like Yeshua, falsely named as Jesus, I will oppose them forcefully. All right? I, I, need, I need to clarify that, all right? Okay. So, as you know, I've begun a series of discussions, both on the website and in the Yeshua Judaism podcast series, in you know, which I distinguish within these discussions primarily, okay, primarily the, the series, the podcast, and the YouTube audio in which I discuss the contrast of Yeshua Judaism versus what I call Akiva Judaism or Rabbinic Judaism, and I mentioned this earlier, Within that discussion, I have begun to show the distinctions, the differences. It's very important that you listen to that material to hear the fundamental differences, at least the original article, which I believe is a four- or five-part series. It's important to understand what the differences are. Numerically, they're not that many, but in terms of their their consequences in terms of the the breadth of, of application they have, the differences are it are severe and broad ranging. All right, they're few in number, but those few things have a massive impact on one's approach and understanding to scripture. All right, and you'll find that in that series of discussion. So unlike Akiva Judaism. What I call Yeshua Judaism does not accept, does not, N-O-T, does not accept that the sages of Akiva Judaism were infallible. It also does not accept the authoritarian rule of rabbis and does not feel that the overly burdensome rabbinic decrees are necessary or even always helpful. In fact, they're generally hurtful. They prevent a person from drawing near to God. They don't assist people in drawing near to God. They're hurtful. The distinctions between Yeshua Judaism and Akiva Judaism, as I said, are expanded upon within that discussion where I contrast the two types of what I call Judaism. Now again, well, why do I say that? And, and you'll hear this, you'll see this in the material on Yeshua Judaism. Yeshua Judaism, the original faith of the New Testament was actually a sect of Judaism. That's what it was. 
It was a sect of Judaism which differed from the Pharisaic understanding of Torah. All right? Let me just jump into what I mean by the definition or what I mean by the term Yeshua Judaism. Okay. Yeshua Judaism is the authentic Torah faith that Yeshua the Messiah was sent to reestablish as he, and more importantly, as God, witnessed what was and has since increasingly become a very burdensome and extremely elitist, unloving corruption of Torah that can be found in Rabbinic Judaism. Yeshua sought to reinstill the true intent of God's Torah within Israel, to reinvigorate it by ridding it of its severe elitism, and to spread it to all the nations and peoples of the world instead of among only the Jews, as is taught by the elitist leaders of Akiva or Rabbinic Judaism. Yeshua Judaism, unlike Akiva Judaism, firmly and irrevocably stands by the truth that God is impartial, since God loves all mankind and will instantly embrace anyone and everyone who seeks to draw near to him, Jewish or not, rabbi accepted or not. Yeshua's efforts to reestablish, reinstill, reinvigorate, and spread Torah universally is the actual true reason why, then and now, he was and is utterly despised within the Judaism which was birthed by those previously mentioned Pharisaic rabbis. Contrary to the typical understanding, Yeshua Judaism actually predates Akiva or Rabbinic Judaism. It truly does. It predates it. And I discuss that at length more so in the Yeshua Judaism versus Akiva Judaism material. Yes, the New Testament faith, the authentic New Testament faith, Yeshua Judaism, was established and predates what is commonly known as Rabbinic Judaism, which did not exist during the times of Yeshua the Messiah. Now, I consider what's called Agadah, or non-legal teachings, within the Oral Torah of Judaism, to be an important component of Oral Torah, as well as what I, what's called Hashkafa, which are important fundamentals of God and how His divine plan works within creation, and which you will discover when I define Oral Torah later within this discussion. That is, you'll discover what I mean by these terms. I'm throwing some terms out there. You probably, you may, I don't expect you to understand what they mean. I'm going to define this in depth within this series of discussions, all right? So don't be put off by these weird words, Agadah, Hashkafa, don't worry about it. Uh, that will be defined later within these discussions, all right? I define Oral Torah to be a combination of both legal and non-legal teachings, okay? That's what Oral Torah or verbal teachings should be. My point is this. I am not defining Oral Torah as it is defined 
by Akiva Judaism or Rabbinic Judaism. If you wish, you may consider this material that you're hearing as representing my own personal definition. That's fine with me. Therefore, I reject any claims that my definition is faulty, since I am openly stating that I differ with the definition of most within most of the people within Akiva or Rabbinic Judaism. My definition of oral Torah is simply a well-studied opinion. However, in truth, Akiva Judaism's definition of oral Torah is also simply an opinion, but it's sage worship, that is the sage worship, pseudo-idolatry of Akiva Judaism, of Rabbinic Judaism, forbids considering that the sages' opinions, that is, the opinions of the Jewish sages, are wrong or imperfect. I mean, seriously, people, Akiva Judaism, what is otherwise known as Rabbinic Judaism, is indeed a sage-worship religion. They literally worship their sages. That is a fact, and any Jew out there who denies this is either ignorant or a liar. In fact, you will find within Jewish writings that it is, it is a worse violation of Torah, according to them, you'll find in some writings, to disagree with what the rabbis say than it is to disagree with what is written in the written Bible, in the written Tanakh, what Christians irreverently call the Old Testament. They basically view the opinions of their most revered sages to be God-spoken words which means they literally elevate their sages to the position of God. That is a fact. Obviously, they do not say that sages are eternal creators, but their words are equated and at times even supersede the direct words of the Almighty Creator God. That is a fact, and anyone who knows about rabbinic Judaism who denies it is being a liar. It is a fact. Okay, so as I suggested earlier, a crucial issue that presents itself and naturally evolves within this discussion is the application of oral Torah to accurate biblical interpretation, including the New Testament. The facts prove that scrutiny of Judaism's oral Torah and use of those elements that are applicable, most of which are, in my opinion, is a vital and sadly unused master key to unlock an understanding of not just the New Testament in general, but particularly the actual person and mission of Yeshua the Messiah and the coming kingdom of God. It is the means by which centuries of anti-Torah Christian error and ignorance, which often severely, in fact, which always severely misrepresents the New Testament and the Messiah introduced therein, can be corrected. Okay, very quickly, a clarifying note. Within the Torah-based faith, Messiah is more accurately defined as a process in which there are two distinct and crucial Messiahs. Messiah ben Yosef, that is Messiah ben Joseph, and Messiah ben David, that is Messiah son of David. A major task for Messiah ben Yosef is purification, and a major task for Messiah ben David will be to elevate levels of holiness during his messianic reign as king on earth. 
it is taught that Messiah bin Yosef must first appear and is the more important and powerful of the two messiahs. I will not elaborate within this discussion, although I may, in future discussions, show how Judaism's, that is, Akiva Judaism's, own teachings provide substantial and powerful evidence to support that Yeshua, as he is truly presented in the New Testament versus Christianity's distorted presentation, was and is Messiah ben Yosef, the characteristics of which originate from oral Torah, as do virtually all other messianic concepts. Now, please be aware that whenever I refer to Yeshua as Messiah, that is, as he is often falsely named Jesus, whenever I refer to Jew, excuse me, to Yeshua as Messiah, within this discussion, I am identifying him as Messiah ben Yosef, that is, Messiah son of Joseph, as he appeared 2,000 years ago. I am fully persuaded that he will return as Messiah ben David in the near future. Now, what I really, what I really mean in, the, in this brief clarifying note is that even within rabbinic Judaism, again, this is something you will not hear from many rabbis or people out there who practice Judaism, rabbinic Judaism. Rabbinic Judaism does teach that there are two distinct and separate messiahs. They very rarely openly discuss this because when they do, mm, uh-oh, it kind of supports what the New Testament talks about. You know, Yeshua came once and he's coming back again. That's two times. So that's why you won't hear them openly discuss it very often, although they are more openly discussing it in these last days. But that's why whenever you hear, like, for instance, Jewish kind of missionaries, Whenever they try to disprove that Jesus or Yeshua is Messiah, they don't talk about Messiah ben Yosef. They're always focusing on Messiah ben David. And I discuss this in other, in other material within the podcast and the audios. And yes, they're right. When he was here 2,000 years ago, Yeshua did not fulfill the prophecies of Messiah ben David. He didn't. So they focus on that. And they virtually never focus on what is expected of Messiah ben Joseph, Messiah son of Joseph. Which, by the way, does parallel many of the things Yeshua did indeed accomplish and do 2,000 years ago. So they don't want to talk about Messiah ben Joseph. They only want to talk about Messiah ben David because they know he didn't fulfill anything or hardly anything regarded the, regarding the prophecies of Messiah and David. And that's one way, one of many ways, that Judaic-based counter-missionaries practice blatant, shameless deceit and trickery. Some of these guys, some of the counter-missionaries are frankly just disgustingly repulsive because I know they're lying. And they're counting on the ignorance of their listeners to not realize they're lying, to not realize that they're practicing deceit. I guess that's a better term for it. They're using deceptive tactics in their kind of missionary activity. I know they are because I know the deeper, some of the deeper aspects of Messiah, including the two Messiah concept, which they refuse to elaborate upon. So, anyway, I throw that. That's why I throw out there this clarifying note, where I 
mention that there are indeed two messiahs, but also because of this. Where will you find those concepts where discuss the two messiahs? Where do they come from? What is the, the primary source that one must go to to discover the characteristics of Messiah bin Yosef and Messiah bin David, or that is Messiah son of Joseph and Messiah son of David? Where do you go for that? Where's, where's the real source for that material? The source is oral Torah. So if you do not understand or study oral Torah, you cannot possibly grasp a true understanding of the process of Messiah. You simply can't. The wealth of information available in oral Torah is where you will find the best understanding of the person and mission of the Messiahs. Messiah, son of Joseph, and Messiah, son of David. And oh, by the way, it isn't necessarily true that that Messiah, those two Messiahs, are two separate people. I won't get into that here. It's referring to two separate appearances of two different Messiahs. But there's nothing in rabbinic teachings that categorically rejects the idea that it can be the same person in two separate bodies. In other words, the same soul, the same neshama as two separate people or the same neshama in the same body returning. I won't get into the details of that. Uh, it gets very deep. My point is the best place to understand in the, the process of Messiah, the activities of Messiah, what he must do, the prophecies of Messiah, etc., the place you go for that is oral Torah. And sadly, and when I say oral Torah here, I'm referring to the Judaic-based oral Torah. And I'll get more into that as we proceed. But that's where you find most information. Therefore, by ignoring that and rejecting that, Christians are missing out on a fabulous wealth of information that they could use to support the New Testament. Okay, next I'll discuss my approach that I will take within this discussion. However, since we've already exceeded 30 minutes, I'm going to postpone that to part two. All right? So in part two of this discussion of oral Torah, in which I will prove the legitimacy and necessity of it, in part two, we'll jump right into the, the approach that I'm going to take within this entire discussion as far as how I'm going to discuss the, the concept of oral Torah, all right? So again, I, I appreciate you for listening. This is a very important series, people. I'm, it really is. I cannot, I cannot under, understate or overstate or underestimate, or whatever. <laughs> I cannot overstate the importance of understanding the concept of oral Torah. It is very important. For if you, you must have a basis, a basic understanding of oral Torah if you are going to properly interpret Scripture, especially, I mean, really, especially the New Testament. Even more so, in many ways, than the Tanakh, since the New Testament 
is presenting material that is prophetic, is presenting the Messiah, is presenting the actions of Messiah, etc. You don't find that written clearly and often in the Tanakh, what Christians are reverently call the Old Testament. You don't find it. It's based largely on oral, on oral Torah. Therefore, it is very important, it is very important to establish at least a basic understanding of oral Torah, okay? At the very least, don't reject it without even knowing what it is. It's stupid, frankly, to reject something when you do not even know what it is. And that's what most Christians and Christian leaders do. They reject oral Torah, and they do not even know what it is. They've never even studied it. So again, thank you for listening, and join me again when I jump into it and discuss the approach that I will take within this series of discussions of oral Torah. Again, thank you for listening, and goodbye.